This morning we're going to look at the next passage for me in Mark as we see how the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed to the people of Israel and therefore revealed to us. And this is another installment in that, in, uh, that revelation and in that ministry of Jesus. But before we begin to look at this passage in Mark, let's pray and ask for God's help in this time. So let's pray. Almighty Father, Lord, how we thank you for your word that you have spoken to us. You have not left us in the dark to guess what you are thinking, what you are doing, what you are wanting, or guessing about who you are. And we thank you for that, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us now as we come to this uh, well-known passage from your word. Please help me, Lord. Guide and direct me by your Holy Spirit to speak forth your truth. May you keep me from... Uh, saying things that are untrue or unhelpful. But if I do, may your spirit take that from our ears. May you speak into our hearts, Lord, the truth you would have us know this day, that we may be shaped more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, and so give him the glory that he is worthy of. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not really one much to uh, talk about television programs because we don't have a TV, but I have seen TV occasionally in my life. And one program, I guess it's almost you'd call it pre-reality TV, was of a, a real-life situation in the United States where the owner of a fairly significantly sized business learnt of one of his faithful employees who was going through a particular private difficulty. I think there was a family member who had either been in an accident or was unwell and they had substantial medical bills. And this owner wanted to help this employee. But the way that he did it was that because it was a large company and had multiple locations, this employee actually didn't know who the owner of the company was. So they arranged it that he would go in as a temp and be trained by this employee and work under this employee. And he did that for about a week. And he was just settling in. The employee said, oh, this temp is working out pretty well because sometimes temps don't go so well. And then at the end of the week, the owner reveals to the employee who he is, that the temp is actually the owner, that employee's real boss. And the owner generously gave that person a large deposit into their bank account to help with their financial uh, you know, bills because of illness. And that reminded me somewhat of this story today, which hopefully will become clear as we progress through it. This passage reminds me of Jesus' gracious generosity. 
Yeah, most of us are familiar with this account of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. You don't have to have been in the church very long and you've heard about Jesus feeding the 5,000. If you've ever been to Sunday school for any period of time, you've heard about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this account is so well known that it's actually one of only two miracles that are in all the Gospels, and the second one is the resurrection of Jesus. So this is pretty important. And so as we unfold this passage today, as we look at it, what I would like you to see from it today is that the compassion and mercy of Jesus grow only richer and more precious to us the more we know him. That the compassion and mercy of Jesus grow only richer and more precious to us the more we know of him. And so firstly, I'd like us to consider the compassion of Jesus. Because if I remember, you probably don't, we've had heaps of sermons since I last preached or two times I preached, the setting for this is that the disciples have returned from their first sort of ministry tour without Jesus. He sent them out in pairs, and they went around, and they had a time of ministry, and they have come back to Jesus, and they're reporting, and they're catching up, and they're having fellowship. But it's a really busy time. It's actually so busy with people coming and going that they don't even have time to, to sit down and eat. And that's crazy busy, and that's exhausting. And you might do that for a while, but you can't keep doing that unless you burn out. And so Jesus has organized that they have a break, that they have this retreat with just Jesus and his disciples because they want to go to this uh, remote place and be together and just catch up and be refreshed. But it tells us that the people recognize them. That's the trouble with like Jesus has become so well known that people recognize him and they kind of figure out where they're heading and they get there ahead of them. And so it says that when Jesus, when he got off the boat, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now, if we were in Jesus' place and we got off the boat and we saw the great crowd, what would we be thinking? Now, Jesus, he could have been angry at that because this was a real intrusion to their privacy and their plans. They wanted some rest. They wanted a break. And here these people have come and messed up the whole plan. He could have avoided them and just like jumped back in the boat and say, look, let's get out of here. This, is, this isn't going to work. But he doesn't. Or he could have, and unfortunately I can relate to this, he could have grudgingly ministered to the people. Played the martyr. You know, that, oh, all right, I'll do it. I think most of us at some stage 
perhaps not in the church, but perhaps to our kids or a friend or a spouse, we've done that. But Jesus doesn't do that. And I think if he had, the Bible is candid enough that it would have said that, but that's not, that's not what his response was. Instead, his heart goes out to them. What does he see? He gets off the boat and he sees this crowd and he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He sees the people in this crowd. I think he just doesn't see a crowd. He actually sees individuals in that crowd that they're in need and that they have a sense of their need but they aren't exactly sure what will meet that need or where they'll find it. And I think that's when he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep kind of have desires that they want fulfilled. Believe me, I've farmed sheep. They can drive you insane, but they, they have desires they want fulfilled, but perhaps they don't know how to find that. They want to eat what's ever before them. They get hungry but perhaps that's not the paddock they need to eat first. Perhaps we want to eat this paddock and then progress to this paddock and then this paddock. But sheep have no sense of that. And I think perhaps this crowd was like that. They had that sense of, we're looking for something. We're unsettled. We just don't have a sense of satisfaction or peace. But at least they had a sense that somehow this Jesus might be the answer. And so does human nature ever really change? Are we not in the same situation and people we know and we look at it society and there's a sense of people are, can be directionless or people are dissatisfied or people are longing for peace but often don't know where to find it. And at times, the places they do go to find it, they find that it actually can hurt them or it doesn't last. We've probably done that ourselves. And so Jesus, his response is compassion. And that's not strange that he should be able to relate to them being like sheep without a shepherd because Jesus describes himself as, in John 10, the good shepherd. He says in Luke that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what he came was for people like that. And interestingly, part of his compassionate response is not just to go up, there, there, it's all right. But it's actually he goes and he teaches them many things. That's part of Jesus' compassionate response, to teach them. He knows that they need direction, they need information. They need to know, they need to hear about what they're looking for. Now, it doesn't tell us what they're looking for, that what he said It just says he began to teach them many things. And as we read in um, Graham read for us in John chapter 1, he starts to bring some light to shine upon their darkness. And no doubt taking uh, 
you know, cues from Jesus' other interactions with people. No doubt he told them about that their greatest need was to be in right relationship with God. He probably told them, because there are probably a lot of them good, faithful Jewish guys and women and children, not to trust in their Jewish ancestry, not to trust in being good Jews. He probably told them that they need to repent, that they need to trust in God's Messiah. He probably told them that they need to live a life that reflects their new identity in Christ. And so he had compassion on them and that resulted in him teaching them many things. And it's interesting that that is the description that they are like sheep without a shepherd. That's how they're described and that Jesus later in in John 10, in response to the Jews, would say that I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. And we see that same attitude displayed here in action as Jesus lays down his own rights. He lays down his, his comfort his plans to minister to the lost. And to me, that's very heartening. It's very challenging. I think the challenge is for God's people to, it is to ask that we, ask the Lord to help us to cultivate a heart like that for the lost. Because sometimes that's very difficult Sometimes we're doing our own thing or we're, we're doing stuff for the Lord and perhaps we feel we haven't got time for dealing with the lost. And so we've lost focus of what Jesus' heart is. So we need to pray that we would have a heart for the lost. But also for perhaps there may be people here today, I don't know everyone, I don't know everyone who is here. But if you haven't placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are like the people in this crowd. And you may go, how do you know that? Well, I do know that because that's what it says in God's word. You might be looking for something that will truly satisfy you. You might be unsettled. You might be feeling hopeless. But whatever your circumstances are, you can have peace with God. Because that is what we all need most of all. There's no other real peace if we don't have peace with God. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, where you've come from, the, your failures, your weakness, the things you may be ashamed of that you've done, This Lord Jesus Christ will never turn away anyone who comes to him. He is this compassionate shepherd saviour whose purpose has been to come to save the lost. So I encourage you, if you are looking for peace, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from doing your own thing and turn to Jesus you can be assured that he will not turn you away and he will not disappoint you.
So secondly, I'd like us to consider not just Jesus' compassion, but Jesus' Jesus' mercy. Now, I like the way this, this account builds up. You can almost feel the tension start to build as the disciples start to sense this growing need of the crowd as it gets late. That's a big crowd of people. And it's getting late. And they're probably getting a bit hungry. And because of that, they're getting a wee bit edgy. And there's a lot of people to have that are starting to get a wee bit antsy. And they feel that. And I think Jesus actually allows the disciples to feel that. At first glance, when you look at this, you, you listen to Jesus' response to them. They say, well, he says, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. That seems reasonable. But it's almost like Jesus, it seems like he's a little bit unkind. He says, well, he almost dismisses that. And he says, you give them something to eat. Jesus, what are you talking about? There's 5,000 people. There could be, potentially, because Luke tells us there are women and children, far more than that, maybe even double that number. But Jesus isn't being unkind. Jesus, in his mercy, is helping those disciples to see their need. that they cannot meet this ministry need. He pushes them a little bit. He pushes them to see the scale of this. Because I think even if they did go to the surrounding villages, would there be enough food? That's a lot of people. You imagine even, like it was villages, we're not talking about big towns, you imagine 5,000 people descending on Invercargill. That would put a strain on the services. You know, people in restaurants and cafes and going into dairies and supermarkets. 5,000 is a lot of people. So the disciples, a lot of them, small businessmen, very shrewd about money, think, well, do you expect us to spend, what is it, 200 denarii, eight months' wages? They haven't got that much money on them. That's a huge amount of money. They haven't got that money. And so Jesus helps them to see that, actually, we can't. We can't meet this need. And praise the Lord that he did that. Because what would be worse for him to allow them to go on in this delusion that we've got it, we we can sort this, Jesus. But they can't. So in his mercy, he, he just... He allows that pressure to build so they can actually see we need help. So what are they going to do? Well, they needed to trust in the Lord Jesus. And that is, Jesus kind of takes over in a sense. They, we don't know what to do, Jesus. But it tells us in John that Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do, and it was sort of like a bit of a test for them. So what are you going to do? Are you going to handle this? 
For a start off, we think, yeah, we'll handle it. We realize, no, actually, we can't. He wants them to see what he tells them later at the Passover meal. In John 15, verse 5, you know, it says, Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That seems kind of grim, doesn't it? Well, I think he means nothing of eternal value. And we sometimes struggle at that. Like, really, Lord, I've been serving you for quite a while. I'm sure I can manage something. But he says, apart from him, we can do nothing of eternal value. And he's wanting his disciples to know that. So it probably did sting the disciples a little bit to have their inadequacies revealed. But that's better than trusting in themselves. And Jesus, in his graciousness and his mercy, despite their failures, he still uses the disciples. When they trust him and obey him, he uses them to minister to the crowd. And we see that in three ways. So Jesus asks, what food have we got? And and we know from John, it's probably a bit embarrassing for a grown man, Andrew, he finds that there's a boy with five loaves and two fish. I would feel embarrassed bosking around the crowd and then having to ferret out this food from this child. But he does it because that's what Jesus asks him to do. So God uses that. He uses that humble obedience. And then it's not quite as clear here, but in the other parts it is, they obey his command to have the crowds sit down in orderly groups. Now that's risky too, because it's one thing to not create an expectation and then not fulfill it. No worries, nobody's expecting anything. But it's another thing to create the expectation that people, all right, we're sitting down, so something's, something's on the go. But the disciples don't know what Jesus is going to do. So that's risky because the people sit down and then they're sitting there for like half an hour. It's like, well, nothing's happening. Like, what's the deal? But they still obey him. And then they distribute what Jesus provides. So in his mercy, Jesus allows his disciples to experience that growing sense of their inability to satisfy the needs of the crowd. But when they understand that and turn to him, he gladly uses them to minister his grace to the people. And I praise God that I think most of us know that sense of his patience and mercy towards us. At different times, we can be fearful. We can be apathetic. We can be overconfident. Sometimes we're just plain sinning. We're blind to our faults. And yet, Jesus still works in and through us, causing us to rely on him, to do his work, and graciously using us to bring the gospel to others. So I want to encourage you today, 
but that Jesus is still the same merciful Savior who is willing to use us. And then sometimes, and I think I've probably told a few people, as amazed as I am at my salvation, sometimes I'm even more amazed that Jesus keeps persisting with me, and yet in his mercy he does. And finally, I'd like us to consider the revelation of Jesus. Because, you know, what do they say? Spoiler alert. No surprise, feeding a crowd of 5,000 people is a huge task. Like, as we said before, Luke's account of this event says that, well, there was 5,000 men, plus there was women and children. So, potentially, the crowd was much bigger. Now, some of you know our eldest daughter, Rachel, and she works in a catering company in Wellington. And they had done some pretty big events. But I think the largest that they have served was a gathering, an event of 1,000 people. And that was a big deal for them. They were, they planned... Rachel was more like, her fa- uh, more like her mother and less like her father. They were planning months ahead to organize a location, to organize times, organize a menu, organize food suppliers, organize their chef staff, organize and employ more wait staff, organize transport, and organize a host of other stuff that she's into that detail, knows what goes on, and I don't. And it really stretched their capacity. I think Rachel was kind of so relieved when it was done, and it was done well. A thousand was about the limit. And yet this event was far more extraordinary than that. And I don't mean just because of the scale, but I mean because of the catering. The scale was huge. I struggled to get my head around that, about that many people in one group and having to be fed. But as we look at the passage from verse 41, it says this, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, And they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus miraculously miraculously created this food. In this orderly and simple way, from nothing, he created baked bread and it was probably salted or pickled fish, probably salted fish. So a simple, more simple menu than probably what Rachel had, but on a scale far, far greater. And when you think about the number of people, and when it's 5,000 men, and I'm a man so I know men can eat, and they ate till they were satisfied, it wasn't just a few little crackers with something on it, they can eat, because they're probably all mainly physical laborers. So Jesus probably created two to three tons of food. And and it sort of blows my mind to think of even handling that. 
But what's more important than the miracle itself is what it further reveals to us about Jesus. As Mark unfolds an increased revelation of who Jesus is, he can no longer be seen as just an authoritative preacher or a healer or someone who can declare sins forgiven. He has done all that and amazed people. But he can't be any longer just seen as that because those people can't do what he has just done. Jesus is in the midst of this throng of people is the one through whom they were created. Now we know from John, we know from Genesis that creation involved the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so it says that through Jesus, all things were created, and without him, nothing was made. And so their creator is in the midst of them. It's like the business owner says, actually, I own this place, I own 20 other locations, and I'm your boss, not your temp worker. Wow. They've seen Jesus, teacher, healer, person who makes them, declares them right with God. And he is revealing that he is their creator. And not only that, He has come in the flesh to be their redeemer. If their eyes were opened, and later on we see that they weren't, but if their eyes were opened, the reality of this should have struck each one there to the very core of their being. And there should have been like an impromptu worship service to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the creator, the creator of the universe was in their midst. And he was extending compassion and mercy. He's ministering to the crowd's souls. He's feeding their stomachs. He's mentoring his disciples and working through them. And he is the creator. The compassion and mercy of Jesus grows only richer and more precious to us the more we know him. So, in an application and to close, I think that we need to pray for hearts that earnestly want to know more of Jesus. And we need to pray for eyes to see what he reveals. And may the preciousness of the grace that he gives to us cause us to worship him more fully and give him the glory that he's worthy of. Because sometimes we we limit our view of Jesus and he's so much bigger, 
so much greater and fuller and more wonderful than what we'll ever conceive in this life. But the more we grasp of him now, the more we appreciate what he has done and the more we give him glory as we give him thanks and live for him. So I encourage you, you know, take time to spend with Jesus, getting to know him through his word and in prayer. He will only grow richer and more precious and more full to you. Amen.